Let's Talk Sales. This is the podcast for anyone who's interested in growing sales. Let's Talk Sales is brought to you by the Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program. Are you looking to experience a breakthrough in your team's sales? Have you tried sales training in the past, but were unable to make it stick? The Criteria for Success Sales Growth Program is a year-long engagement that combines sales and leadership training, a digital sales playbook, and a coaching and accountability process that will change your sales culture and drive sustained growth. Learn more at criteriaforsuccess.com. That's criteriaforsuccess.com. Our theme for the month of November is targeting, so we've been talking and writing about it all month. You can check out the blog for best practices, information, and advice for you and your team. In this CFS Talk Sales Roundtable, we'll be talking about sales targeting. I hope you enjoy today's discussion. This is Elizabeth Frederick, Operations Officer and Senior Advisor. I just this month published my latest ebook called The Ultimate Guide to Sales Targeting, How to Attract and Pursue the Right Leads for Your Business. And with me today, I have our Director of Marketing, Rebecca Toomey. Hello. And I am so excited to introduce our newest team member, our sales advisor, Natalia Nikovigit. No. my mistake Natalia Novakovic she's been here for a bit but uh, I'm still getting the name Natalia joined the team in October and she has a great perspective on targeting because she is in sales so welcome Natalia thank you Um, everybody you can find the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 103 we're in episode 103 woohoo So let's get started and jump in. Um, I just wanted to start broad like we typically do. So why do you think sales targeting is such an important topic for leaders to be thinking about? And I can get us started since I'm the one who wrote the book on targeting this (laughs) month. Um, To a certain extent, I wrote it because Rebecca told me to. But um, targeting is just incredibly important because targeting drives activity and it drives where your team spends their time. And so as a sales leader, you really need to be thinking about um, what are our ideal targets. You get what you focus on. Um, your team goes where where they think you're targeting. And so you need to make sure that you have the right targets so the team knows kind of where they should be aligning their activity to. We see that it's especially important for teams that need to work together. For example, sales and marketing. Um, and only through having uh, a good sense of what your targets are, are those teams really able to work effectively together. And when we see a big disconnect or problems between the two, a lot of times it's because marketing kind of has one target that they're thinking of and sales is working on either a wildly different target or even a slightly different target. And that can cause a lot of problems. What about you? Definitely. I think that when it comes to targeting, as far as the importance goes, and in the context of sales, I think that targeting is the most important area to focus on for sales leaders because if you don't have the right targets or the right target market, then what is the point? What are we even doing here, right? Our goal is to share offering or product with the world. And there are very few things that are universal. We were joking about this before that I think, uh, you know, something like a toothbrush might be something that's <laughs> universal and could hit every target because everyone needs a toothbrush, whether you are a baby or you are, you know, in your middle of your life, wherever you are, you need a toothbrush, right? But if you're not selling toothbrushes, you've really got to hyper-focus on your target market. Who are you selling to and why? Why is your offering or product necessary? And how is it going to change their life for the better? Of course, I could certainly keep going with those kinds of questions, but 
What do you think? No, I think that's so <laughs> funny, um, especially because of an example like the toothbrush example. Um, I listen to a lot of podcasts, which is why I, I told Rebecca we needed to develop a podcast here. Um, and one of the biggest products that you hear advertised on a lot of podcasts lately is the Quip electric toothbrush. <laughs> and they are not a sponsor of us, so I'm not going to give you their whole pitch. But they are clearly targeting um, the type of person who listens to certain podcasts, mm-hmm. I'll just say. They're on about half of the like 50 podcasts I listen to, which is way too many. Um, and is that the subscription toothbrush? It's a subscription toothbrush. So you think okay. about it, and there's a kind of person who might need a subscription toothbrush. The Probably person, someone who listens to a lot of business podcasts, maybe, because they're pretty yeah, busy. <laughs> people, people who are too busy or too lazy or something to actually ever remember to update the bristles on their electric toothbrush. And I totally bought a Quip electric toothbrush. Oh, and no. I was within the target, and it made total sense to me, and I bought it. So even a product as simple as a toothbrush, like you said, it's such a simple product. And yet, if you understand your ideal target, and then you get in front of them, they end up buying the stupid electric toothbrush. And I have to say, I love my, my quick electric toothbrush, so it totally hey, works. Hey, that ended up being a great commercial. We need to give them a call. Yeah, they should be paying us for it. What about you, Natalia? They should totally endorse us. Well, I mean, you're absolutely right. But, you know, what I want to add is that you just can't be everything to everyone. You know, from the mm-hmm. salesperson's perspective, time is money, money is time. Where you put time, you should see money. So you also want to work smart. And, you know, really to maximize your success, you just really have to focus on a group that's most likely to buy from you, plain and simple. Definitely. It's amazing um, when it comes to organizations. One of the biggest things that we see is that leaders want their teams to be more efficient and make the best use of their time. And we hear this over and over and over again. You know, I've got a team the size I do. I really don't want to increase the size of my team, I want them to be more effective. And one of the things that really determines how effective your team is, is whether they can disqualify quickly. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a lot of opportunities come in, maybe they come to you, or you go out and you find a bunch of opportunities. And like you were just saying, Natalia, um, to be able to know, I should focus on these ones, because these are the best ones. They're the ones that are most likely to close, most likely to be an ideal client. Um, that's a lot better thing for a salesperson to be able to focus on than just anybody who might call or send an email or I happen to stumble across on the street. My close rate is going to be a whole lot higher if I'm focused on my ideal target. Absolutely. Prioritization is really key. Yep, definitely. That's such a great point. Um, you know that we are always all about telling stories and sharing examples, and we have a pretty wide um, variety of experience represented on the podcast. And so I always like to share stories. So um, can each of us just share a story about either your personal experience with sales targeting or how you might have observed somebody else targeting really well? Ooh, I have a good one for today. And it's actually about how sometimes your target audience doesn't necessarily want to be your target audience, but there are ways to teach and educate and train that audience as to why they should be. And so that's kind of my story here. So when I used to work in the property damage restoration industry, which if you've been listening to Let's Talk Sales, you've heard about this. But if you're new, I want to kind of give a little bit of a a background here that Local insurance agents were my main target audience. And to quickly explain how, how this works, basically things go wrong in properties all the time. Pipes burst and flooding can happen really easily. I'll just give an example of something that is really, really, really common that a lot of people don't think about. Your refrigerator has a line on the back of it that is made out of plastic. If you're lucky, it's steel braided lines. If it is plastic, change it to steel. Just gonna go ahead and throw that out there to begin with. But 
Good Most tip. refrigerators come with a cheap plastic tube that goes from your water source to your ice maker to make your ice. Well, it's plastic. Over time, it's going to degrade and eventually it will crack, it could splinter, and it can break. This might seem like it's a small thing, but I have seen $30,000 jobs come oh, from a goodness. refrigerator plastic line. So it's something that's small. But if you get to it quickly, you can really prevent a lot of problems. So, you know, if you're at work and gallons and gallons of water are flooding into your kitchen, it's going to obviously make your cabinets wet and cabinets are usually made out of wood or worse, fiberboard, which we don't like. That's essentially tiny pieces of wood glued together. And that means that it's going to warp when it gets wet. So drywall is also not to, meant to get wet and the flooring. All, there's a lot of problems, right? There's a lot of different things that could go wrong. So homeowners typically have two options in this scenario. They can either first call their insurance agent, who's the one who sold them their policy. And in some areas, these people are also referred to as brokers. Like I know in Canada, they refer to agents as brokers in some different areas in the US. So just an, a side note there. But agents are really meant to be advisors. I mean, they're selling a policy from an insurance company or carrier typically, and their job is to go above and beyond for their, their customers. Now, agents, a lot of times, they they pass the buck. Sometimes when their client calls and says, oh my gosh, this happened to me, they'll say, okay, call the carrier who holds your policy. And we think, by we, I mean people in the restoration industry think that that's a big mistake and a missed opportunity for insurance agents to be a subject matter expert in this area. And the reason I say this is because most people have high deductibles and homeowners. Usually about 5000 mm -hmm. is the standard deductible for a homeowner's issue like this. The average water dry out is 1500 to $2,000, which falls far below your deductible. So that means you're going to go, you're going to have this problem, you're going to call the carrier, file a claim, and someone's going to come out and it will likely not cost you as much as your deductible would be. Mm -hmm. And now you have this on your report for five years that you filed a claim and they could raise your rates. It could hurt you. So this is just like a little tiny thing that sure agents can ignore this and just say, well, I don't want to deal with claims. This is not my job. My job is to sell the policies. It's the carrier or the companies. That's their role is to, to, to figure out this situation for people. And that's where as a as a salesperson, I would come in and say, no, but this is an opportunity for you because if you want to keep and retain your customers, isn't it in your best interest to take care of them? And hey, if you could get somebody out there to dry this out and it's $1,500 versus having to pay $5,000 and deal with all of the drama of a reconstruction, then definitely go for that. Now, of course, this is not taking into consideration a lot of people who do like to take scenarios like this and blow it up into a big escalated situation. I'm not even going to touch that. But um, yeah, so this is just, I wanted to talk about this example as a way to say that, you know, some agents were, were intuitive and they got this and they're like, oh yeah, I'm an advisor. That's why I've, I've been in business for 40 years is because mm -hmm. my customers call me first for advice before I decide to file a claim or I escalate the situation that's happening. And then there's others out there that don't realize how important this is and how important it is to be a value add to your to your customer. So as a salesperson, I felt like it was my job to say, hey, these are all the ways that you can help retain your client. And so when you're thinking about targeting, you know, sometimes some targets are going to be more difficult because you have to get through a mental barrier like this one. But if you can help to make a difference in the process of doing this, I think it is well, well worth it. 
Like rather than going for through, for the low hanging fruit and saying, I'm going to go to the carriers and try to get on vendor programs, you know, is there a way that you can go through it and also help people in the process, Definitely. help save them headaches, time and money? So that's my story. <laughs> that's a great one. Thank you, Rebecca. You're absolutely right. I mean, uh, it just to really expand on what you're saying, you have to know your buyer persona as well. You know, really almost to the point where you can predict what concerns they're going to voice, which of course in turn will help you focus on how to demonstrate the product or service that you're selling and how it's actually going to help them. So once you get that down to a science, you're actually working smarter and not harder. And to expand on Rebecca's example, you know, perhaps you as these, this, you know, awesome insurance agent who's realized that people don't want to pay 1500 or two grand, you know, because of their deductible, let's not file a claim, etc. Because it stays on their record and whatnot. Maybe you've got a buddy who's in the construction industry, you know, where you're referring some business to him and perhaps you've got some sort of a finder's fee for that. And, you know, it's expanding your own business while keeping your customers happy. So you kind of find a way to turn it into a win-win situation. Definitely. I guess I should side note here that if anyone ever has a problem with their home, just give me a call and I'll give you some advice. Clearly, <laughs> Rebecca knows all of it. Um, <laughs> Not all of it. It's always changing. That is the thing with the insurance industry is it's never the same. Definitely. It, I've watched it change. My I've mentioned my family has been in this industry for about 45 years now. And so my dad's watched uh, agents go to homes and adjust them to now they don't do it that way anymore. So it's definitely different. Definitely. <laughs> well, I have a, a pretty different example, but I think it um, it aligns in, in a lot of ways as well. Um, we had a client in the wealth management space, and we've had a number of clients in that space. Um, it was it's a very fun industry to work in. Um, a lot of kind of unique factors that that made it kind of fun and interesting. Um, and this client had a wide variety of different clients that they had um, within their book of business. Mm -hmm. So they had a lot of clients they were working with and some of them had a relatively small amount of assets under, um, under management and some had a very large amount of assets under management, AUM. And what they were discovering over time is that the clients, especially the ones with a large volume of assets under management, had certain expectations in terms of the level of service that they wanted. You know, if I'm investing $10 million with you, I kind of want some perks. I want um, you to take care of some things for me. Mm -hmm. I want you to, um, you know, maybe pay my bills on my behalf so I don't have to deal with paying bills. Mm -hmm. Or I want you to help manage my multiple properties that I might have. Um, and there are different needs that a person has, you know, not even to be, be funny, but they're just different needs that you have. When you have a higher amount of wealth, um, you've got a more complicated financial situation. More money, more problems. Indeed. <laughs> Indeed. So, um, uh, you've got the voice for that. I do not. <laughs> but so uh, they they realized that, you know what, we, we like to provide this level of service. And they realized that they could develop um, some distinguishing features and really be kind of known for that. But then you can't provide that same level of service to somebody who wants to invest 500000 or a million dollars. And so what they discovered is they needed to increase the minimum size um, of a, a, the minimum required uh, size of assets okay. uh, for somebody to be a client of theirs. And it was a really difficult decision. You know, they wanted to help everybody. Obviously, it's difficult to turn away business that wants to work with you. But 
you have to know what's our cost of servicing a client. And if our cost of servicing a client requires that we're getting this much from them in fees, you might have to say, you know what, we can only have clients above this size because at that point they become profitable for mm -hmm. us. And that enables you to better service those clients and be a better resource for them. And so it was only through kind of making that difficult decision that they were able to you know, hone their target in on a higher minimum size and then that actually allowed them to identify even more ways that they could better serve their clients and develop more concierge services to um, to really distinguish themselves and really stand out from the crowd. And when you're targeting everybody, you can't be unique. You can't really stand out because you have to, like you were saying earlier, Natalia, you're trying to be all things to all people. But if you can hone in on that distinct kind of slice of the market, and it's big enough, you know, to get some business from, you can be the best provider for that group. I'm laughing because I'm like, unless it's toothbrushes. <laughs> <laughs> but it's true. You can't be all things to all people. Yeah. And even if you sell toothbrushes, if you only sell electric toothbrushes, that's not going to appeal to everyone too. So that's very true. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, and so it's just so incredibly important to understand who your ideal target is because that drives all kinds of decisions. You know, we didn't talk about it earlier, but this client that I was just talking about, they literally changed their offering once they changed their ideal target because they knew that this ideal target would need different things from them and they could provide it. So it actually, your offering informs your target, which then informs your offering. And it's kind of a cycle. As you change one, the other changes, and then that might go back and change the other thing. I'm just picturing a lovely endless <laughs> cycle. <laughs> Definitely. Uh, so speaking of cycles and things working well, now let's talk problems. Um, we always like to talk about challenges uh, because it's really important to understand what are the potential roadblocks, the potential challenges, to implementing any best practices because only by thinking about these challenges can you think of a plan to get around them. So what challenges do you see leaders and organizations face related to sales targeting? Why don't we start with you, Natalia? Where do we start? I mean, literally, <laughs> where do we start, right? A lot of leaders and sales organizations as well just don't know where to start. And they feel like they may need to reinvent the wheel to actually go ahead and get started. Mm -hmm. They don't necessarily realize that in order to start building a strong sales targeting technique, all they need to do is just first and foremost, start by looking at their existing customer base and analyzing who the typical decision maker has been thus far and considering the demographics they fall into and all of that. Chances are that others who fall into similar categories will be good candidates for their offering too. Comparably, you've got a new business who doesn't necessarily know where to start at all, period. You want to look at your competition if you're in that sort of predicament, right? You're new, you don't know exactly who to fo focus on yet. Well, what are the other companies out there that are kind of like you and who do they seem to be focusing on? And you want to mimic them a little bit and Test it out, you know, and develop something of a scientific hypothesis, right, based on other patterns you've seen. And, you know, ultimately get your feet wet and see what happens. Reevaluate as you go and make changes and you'll figure it out, ultimately. <laughs> Definitely. I had, a, I had a very similar thought. Um, and I know that a lot of times um, when it comes to targeting, the easiest thing to do, and what I tell you to do in my ebook, I'll give you a little hint, is literally just look at your client base, look at which ones of those are ideal clients, and then just look for people like that. Well, what if you don't have many clients? Maybe you're a startup as a company and you don't have any clients. We had that recently. Yeah, we talked to we talked to one company. We didn't end up working with them. They had the funniest euphemism. They were like pre 
pre-revenue or something like that. And we were like, what does that mean? And I meant they'd ne- never sold anything. I'm like, oh, okay, that makes sense. <laughs> but um, maybe, you, maybe you're even a department and you haven't sold anything or you're launching a new product and you've never sold that product to anybody yet. Um, and a lot of times you're kind of just, you're unable to really get a sense of who that ideal target might be. And you feel kind of stuck. And um, as Natalia was saying, there are ways for you to figure that out. Um, even things like market research, you know, let's say you have a new territory that you you opened up, you went into a new country or a new area, you know, a West Coast office for your business, you have to consider um, what's the potential um, what's the potential market there? Is it, you know, 5 million people, 10 million people? Is it 20 companies, 50 companies, 1,000 companies? And each of those decisions, each of those um, bits of information that you're able to find helps inform your targeting strategy. Um, that can also inform your staffing strategy. Do you need one salesperson or 50 salespeople? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's only through doing the research and getting the right information that you can make decisions. Now, I don't want that to to prevent somebody from targeting, to think, okay, I have to do a massive market research project in order to set any targets. Um, What Natalia was saying is the perfect shortcut. If you have the time and the budget to do the research, do it. And whatever level of information you can find, definitely do it. If you don't, or you can't get enough information, find somebody who's very comparable to you and just see what their target seems to be. Mm-hmm. And then over time, you're going to learn, you're going to be able to refine yours. But definitely that kind of not enough information uh, is the biggest challenge that I see a lot of times. Definitely. All right. Challenges. I'm about to speak from the marketing side of my brain right now. But, but <laughs> we'll I think that a lot of leaders are so so focused on selling and the targets themselves that they forget about helping people. And the purpose and intention for why they're targeting those people. There's a lot of selfishness that happens in sales, a lot of focus on closing deals. So really, I just kind of wanted to mention in this part of the segment to encourage you guys listening in to think about your offering beyond your product or service and consider your target. Consider your target. Is it really valuable to them? How is it going to change their life? It's kind of like what I was talking about at the beginning, I guess, but really just focusing on how do you help your prospect get beyond their challenges? You know, we have our own challenges. They've got challenges too. Just like these agents have challenges to continue to get um, their, whatever they're called, their, uh, <laughs> their, their policy holders to re- keep renewing and retaining them. That's their challenge. So how can you help at the prospecting stage as you're engaging with people in those initial conversations you know, to help. So something I'm actually going to throw out a resource here, Elizabeth, since you're writing down, I figured, you know, I'll give you another thing to note down. We did a webinar last year, Charles and I did together on the client evolution model. And the Mm -hmm. client evolution model is about how to evolve people from the beginning, from suspect to prospect, customer, client, all the way up to advocate. And it gives suggestions and advice on what you can do from a sales side and from the marketing side. And I think that that would really kind of tie this together pretty neatly. So check that out. We're going to put in the show notes, the webinar on client, how to transform the way you sell with the client evolution model. Definitely. And as a reminder, you can find those show notes at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 103. I'm going to throw a little bit of a curveball at you, Rebecca. As you were talking, I was also thinking about an ebook that you wrote, and I think it's called How to Sell Anything to Anyone. Yes. And that talks a lot as well about really aligning your offering 
to your ideal um, ideal client. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Yeah, sure. It includes some really good stuff in there, and specifically the problem opportunity matrix is in that ebook, um, and that tool is called the problem opportunity matrix because we believe that problems are opportunities. So it talks about how to hone in on your ideal prospects problems and how your solution or service is the solution to their problem <laughs> essentially. So definitely check out that ebook too. And I think, does that one have the buyer personas in it? Uh, sales and marketing, sales and marketing alignment. alignment. We'll also right. include a link to that. <laughs> We're um, getting resource heavy, but you know that we love to write helpful and useful information for our audience. So that's what this is about. I mean, heck, this is what we get the most joy out of, I think. Definitely, definitely. We're all about helping people. And it's just, as you were talking about um, how people kind of forget their purpose, I thought about that ebook on how to sell anything to anyone because while it's called that, it's really all about how to figure out what each person needs. Yes. Because then you can sell it to them. Yes. And the title is a little deceiving. Yeah. And it was on purpose and it's, it's great once everybody gets a chance to read it. But it's, I'm not going to try to sell Rebecca something she doesn't need, but Natalia needs. Instead, I'm going to figure out what does Rebecca need and sell that to her? What does Natalia need? Sell that to her. And then I'm going to end up being a lot more successful. And so really um, understanding who your buyers are, yeah. understanding them as individuals, uh, understanding different kinds of companies, the better you know who they are and what they need need, the better you can connect to them. And you're, you're going to see much higher close rates. You know, what's you really that. funny about that resource too, Elizabeth, is I didn't attend inbound this year, but I attended a post inbound event with HubSpot where they kind of recap the event. And a couple of people spoke up about their favorite sessions. And one of the sessions, they talked about how something that marketing people can do is go to their sales team and ask their sales team what their most common objections are and then write content about that. Yeah. And that's what this is. This is, you know, this is this is exactly what that is. If you want to drive sales and marketing simultaneously at the same time, use the problem opportunity matrix because both of both teams can use that to benefit the messaging out into your audience and into Definitely. your ideal targets because you're working together solving the same problems and it's you know, the same objections and problems that salespeople are going to have when they're on the phone with a prospect. And same issue that marketing needs to build collateral and spread the message across social media and all that good stuff. Definitely. And that's just all the way back to the very beginning when we were talking about the importance of targeting is to enable those teams to work together. Um, And you can be better on the same page and communicate with people. And that's all about um, having the same target that you're working toward. So sales targeting, (laughs) it's important. All right. Um, Speaking of adding value to our audience and our listeners, um, what best practices for targeting would you recommend to our listeners? Oh, gosh, this was the easiest response ever. Download Elizabeth's ebook. Thank you. (laughs) She wrote her ebook, as she mentioned, is called The Ultimate Guide to Sales Targeting, How to Attract and Pursue the Right Leads for Your Business. You guys know that I obviously read the ebook, edited and designed and like was a part of it. So I can tell you from my own experience that in this ebook, Elizabeth gives you the framework that you'll need for targeting. And this ebook, if you don't have a process at all, could actually help you to establish your entire sales targeting process. And the best part about it is that it's free and we don't get anything out of sharing our content except, I actually wrote this down, except a good night's rest, knowing (laughs) that we are contributing the sales community. But that is so true is that, you know, we, we write this stuff for you guys. We want you to read it and we want you to 
be successful and find value. So please download a copy of her ebook, read through it, use it for it's there for you to use. And then let us know how it worked for you. I'd, I'd love to hear the feedback on it. Definitely. So would I. Um, this was a really fun ebook for me to write. And it was so interesting to think about. And what's been funny um, since I put it together is how many times I've had the opportunity to share um, the, the content and the best practices and examples and processes that I came up with, um, with, with our clients. Mm -hmm. And so I'm actually going to share a best practice, um, from the ebook and something that I talk about in, I think the first chapter. Um, and it's, uh, when it comes to targeting, you want to work from the outside in. And I think a lot of people, when it comes to targeting, they kind of just don't know where to start. Um, they start to think like, should I think of an individual buyer? Should I think of a kind of company? Should I think about, um, aligning my offering to a person, to a title, to a role? Yikes, where do I start? Um, (laughs) So you want to start with those outside kind of company level criteria. And some organizations have this and some just don't really. So, you know, for you, you might be able to skip over this. But again, you want to think big picture and then work smaller. So are you targeting um, within a certain industry? That makes it pretty easy to know who your ideal targets are. You know, Mm -hmm. we work with life sciences companies or we work with, um, you know, Uh, technology companies. So industry, are you working primarily with companies that are public or private? Is that a consideration or not? Um, Sometimes it matters, sometimes it doesn't. Are you working obviously geographically? That is a very distinguishing um, target and then you can just tell where they are. Um, But you want to think about those company level criteria Mm -hmm. and then get more and more and more specific. So then within that, is there a department that tends to be the buyer? Is there a specific person or title within that department? And then you want to get to a really distinct buyer persona. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be a type of person where you're going into demographics, you're going into even psychographics and really getting into the specific details. And you might find when you get to that level that you've got potentially within even one area of your offering, you might have two very distinct buyer personas that that you target. And that's a really helpful thing to understand because then you'll have different ways of finding and marketing to and, um, and speaking to from a sales perspective, those two different buyer personas. You might have, you know, the, the person who's new in their job and is all about kind of making a big impact and showing something up right away. Um, they're going to buy for one reason versus somebody who's been in their job for a long time and is more stable. And um, they might have a different way that they're implementing even the same offering. Yeah. Yeah, I absolutely agree. I mean, another thing to take into consideration is are you B2B focused versus B2C focused? Yeah. You know, nonetheless, it all comes down to really developing strong buyer personas and you really want to do your best to understand them inside and out. You know, with time, you will start to see the patterns and what your potential buyers tell you and being mindful of these patterns will, will help you make sure that you're speaking to the right people, which of course, in turn, will help you close more deals as we all know that is the goal, right? <laughs> yes, Definitely. Definitely. That is such a great point to Natalia, looking for patterns um, and creating those channels for information to come back from sales, um, come back from even marketing if they're doing surveys or research or looking at comments on, on you know, blog and other things like that. Um, it's not just about we did the one exercise and decided what our targets are, but then you go out into the real world, kind of test that, get feedback from people and adjust. Yeah, we've absolutely a hundred times harped on this. I mean, marketing and sales need to be in alignment. So you're absolutely right. It's an evolving world on a daily basis. Definitely. Um, 
So how do you think that salespeople should approach sales targeting? Obviously, we've been talking a lot about kind of at an organization level, um, what are managers and, and leadership doing to set sales targets? But what different things do you guys think sh salespeople should focus on? Um, for me, I feel like um, salespeople are a lot of times working within um, kind of a an environment that the organization has prescribed, right? So these are the targets you can work on. This is your territory. Here's your minimum. Um, but it's important, just like you were talking about just now, Natalia, for salespeople to then give information back to the organization. Um, what's the feedback you're hearing from targets? Does the target seem actually misaligned? Um, they don't care about our offering like we think they do, or they really don't care about this aspect of our offering that we're marketing, we're really promoting. They care about this other aspect of it. We mm -hmm. need to change our focus. And to me, salespeople need to actually do the most work reporting back to the organization um, so that the organization can better um, refine its message or even sometimes change the target if it's really not a right fit. Definitely, definitely. I think it's up to managers to determine the ideal targets from a strategic standpoint. You know, it's gotta make sense. If you expect your salespeople to figure out who are we going to sell this product to or, you know, the service yeah. to? That's a little outside there. <laughs> you know, but from a salesperson's perspective, it's all about taking a lot of notes as you're prospecting. Take note of common objections that you're hearing based on the persona that you're hearing it from, mm -hmm. the pain points that you're recognizing, what gaps are you discovering? And then, as you said, relay all of these things back to management. And of course, use this to build out your problem opportunity matrix, which we mentioned earlier, um, and to really just kind of solve the problems out there in the world. I mean, doesn't mean that it's the end of the world, but if you don't have a solution to the problem, then you know you might be running up against a target that's not the right target. Yeah, or you might be able to say to the organization, hey, we don't have an offering and all of our targets, you know, we, we meet this one need of theirs. There's a very close need to it. Um, why don't we develop a solution for that? Because I could go out to market with both of those solutions to these same people. Absolutely, I mean, hey, we discovered that here ourselves. We were working with clients building out sales growth programs, which is a year long program and we're building out a sales playbook. But then we also found that we had a huge target audience that wasn't quite ready for that yet. They maybe had three, four, five salespeople and not quite a big enough team, but they needed a sales playbook. And that's why we developed our Calavia sales playbook platform. And it's been such a cool thing to see that we were able to fill in a market that, you know, we necessarily didn't didn't know that we had until we were in the marketplace. Yeah. Yeah. And yeah. they came to us um, and then we weren't able to meet their need. And that can really help as an organization, help you drive development of new things. When people are coming to you and you don't have an offering for them, mm -hmm. either find a way that they're not going to come to you or develop an <laughs> offering for them. Sure. Sure. <laughs> sure. And I mean, I mean, it's also about positioning what you do have as a solution, as we've mentioned, right? As a salesperson, somebody who's been in sales for quite a long time at this point, in a few different capacities, you know, we're on the front line. So, you know, as salespeople, we're not necessarily the ones that are going to figure out who to target initially. We've already kind of discussed this. That would be the sales manager, VP, or whomever. But you know, salespeople are definitely in a position to prove or disprove this sales manager's theory or you know market research that may or may not be current or you know however these conclusions have been come to in terms of who to target right so we we really need to be able to get everything you know to the table make sure lines of communication are open between sales and marketing and vps and whoever else is involved in the whole shebang 
But um, ultimately, we've just got to work together to refine the company's sales targeting strategy based on what salespeople are finding in their day-to-day interactions with their prospects, whether that means creating a new product, right, or comparably just restructuring, figuring out somebody else to target, as you mentioned, with that wealth wealth management client, setting different boundaries, you know, just the lines of communication need to be open in order for that to happen. Definitely. Such a great point. All right, we are coming up on time. So one last question. Um, What is one piece? We always want to be super helpful for people and give them actionable advice. So what is one piece of actionable advice that you would like to share that our listeners can apply today to improve sales targeting? So definitely have an open mind and understand that your ideal buyer may or may not be who you think they are. So keep an eye out for patterns in what you see and just listen to what people tell you. Be sure to reassess what you're doing every so often because market trends do change as we all know. Definitely. Such a great point. Um, A lot of times people feel locked in and you just absolutely can't do that when it comes to sales. The world is changing around you whether you like it or not. Um, So for me, um, I'm going to recommend that as you are um, identifying your ideal targets as a leader, that you establish qualifiers and disqualifiers and wherever possible, automate this. So if leads are coming in through your inbound marketing platform, that literally there's scoring happening, there's qualifying happening behind the scenes, and your team is only seeing the information that actually matches up with your ideal targets. You wanna reduce the cycles, reduce the burden on anybody to have to do that. Now, it, it is still a good practice to probably have somebody occasionally go through and make sure great stuff isn't falling through the cracks. But if you do a good job with that disqualifying and that screening and it's happening behind the scenes, your team is just being literally served up great qualified targets that they can then go after. And that's a great place to be as a salesperson. So automate where possible. Definitely. And I'm going to throw out there, document everything. (laughs) Definitely encourage you to use a digital sales playbook for this, of course, as always. But I'd actually like to correlate this to a personal passion of mine because I just got back from the track. So it's what's on my mind. But um, for those of you not familiar, I ride motorcycles on road racing courses. And when you're out on the track, you can only focus on so many things at once. If you're coming off a straightaway and you're going into a corner, you have to think about a lot of things. Like if you're not a motorcycle person, bear with me on this for a second. I am but not you, a motorcycle person. <laughs> you have to think about things like this, downshifting, braking, braking point, braking pressure, how much you're going to break. When is your turn in point? What's your body position like? All the other people that are around you. There's a lot of things that you have to think about And the more you can minimize all of those things that you have to think about and be consistent on what you're doing, the more consistent you'll be and you will be put into a position where you can actually make improvements, right? So the example is I want to improve my lap times. I want to get faster. I'm not going to do that by guessing. The only way that I'm going to do that is by doing the exact same thing every single time. So if I'm going into turn one and I'm breaking at the second brake marker and I'm downshifting at the first brake marker and I want to take off time, then I need to do everything later. I need to downshift later. I need to turn in later, all those things. That's how you shave time on the racetrack. The same thing applies to targeting and it applies to selling. It's all about being consistent, listening, paying attention, doing the same thing over and over, over and over, And then are you succeeding or are you failing? Is it working or is it not working? That's your indicator. And that's how you really find your winning plays and then keep repeating those. And of course, they're going to get stale. That's why we say use a digital sales playbook because those winning plays are eventually not going to work anymore and you're going to have to reinvent. 
So if you have a really, really set documented process for what you're doing, you're more likely to know, all right, well, here's the breakdown in my process. I changed this little thing and now everything's falling apart and these targets are no longer working for me. So I gave you a really crazy example, but... No, I I understood about half of those words, but it did make sense. Um, I think a lot of times people think, I know I need to, I need to, um, you know, update a process over time, but I don't know where to update it. If you are following the process and following the steps, that will tell you where it should change because you'll be able to see what part's not working. And a lot of times people are like, well, nobody's following the process. So the process is wrong. It's like, well, maybe everybody followed the process and then you'll see where where the things break down. I actually wrote an ebook. I think it was last year, maybe earlier this year on keeping your sales playbook moving. Yes, that's a great ebook. We don't um, refer to that enough. And one of the things that you were just saying of keeping your targets up to date, um, you'll also want to just keep everything in your playbook up to date. (laughs) But one of the examples in there that we give is just the importance of of using using the tools, using the process um, that helps you inform um, changes that you need to make. So I couldn't help but plug my own ebook. Yeah, put that in the show notes. No, that is a great ebook. That one is one of the prettiest ones. You did such a great job with design. Um, So I like that one. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you everybody so much for listening to Let's Talk Sales. Um, All of those resources we've been talking about, you can find in the notes for today's show at criteriaforsuccess.com slash pod 103. In next week's show, Rebecca will be interviewing Doug Hack of Cornerstone Advisors. He is a really great guy. He's a good friend of CFS. Love him. And I know everybody is going to really enjoy learning from him. He has a ton of wisdom to share. Um, I worked with him for a few years. And so um, always, always enjoyed every time we talked. I feel like I I got some wisdom. So that'll be a fun one. Um, In the meantime, stay tuned for this Friday's inspiration, where Charles will be sharing a powerful quote from Catherine Barchetti. Beginning next month, we are going to be writing about coaching and mentoring on the CFS blog. You can check it out at criteriaforsuccess.com slash blog. Charles, Rebecca, and I co-wrote an ebook all together, which was a very fun process that Rebecca mm-hmm. managed. Um, and we are so excited to share that one with you. I do not have the final title yet. Mm-hmm. I think that's still being finalized. Coming soon. <laughs> if you are enjoying the show, please recommend us to a friend and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever it is that you find your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a rating or a review. This will help more people find the show and it lets us know what's working and where we have room to improve. And remember, you can follow us on Twitter at let's underscore talk underscore sales. Let's Talk Sales is a production of Criteria for Success and is produced by Rebecca Toomey, Ariana Miskell, and me, Elizabeth Frederick. Happy selling!